Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners. No matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. We pick up right now where we left off last week on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum with very special guest, Magic Bob Levy. What's happening in the, in economically in the world now is that because everyone is printing money, okay, and the hoarders of gold haven't quite had, don't have enough quite to do what they're going to do because they are going to do it. You know it, and I know it. It's only a matter of time before China probably uh, stands up to say, okay, game over. I got the gold. I've got a gold-backed currency. Right. Okay. We win. Well, here, right now, today, if you go to buy oil, okay, the standard for purchasing oil is a dollar the American dollar. But the day that shifts to be, I don't know what the Chinese call their, their money, but the day that becomes, they become the standard, America's going to experience hyperinflation. Okay, and it's, it, it's rather scary. And, and I, I saw that happen in Mexico in the 70s when I used to go down and travel through Mexico a lot in the 70s. Um, you know, in the wintertime, we'd spend a lot of time down there camping and vacationing and, and I, I went into Mexico one, at one point, and when I went in, um, yeah, the peso, I don't remember what it was, but it deflated like tenfold while I was there, you know, in that one-month period of time while I was there. And, and um, I saw what hyperinflation looked like. The people who earned an income in Mexico, their, their dollar, their peso, all of a sudden wouldn't buy nearly what it used to buy, okay, overnight. That happened, and um, I can easily see that happening in this country. And um, with the way things are, you know, I hope that we get a handle on it. And, and, you know, one of the things that I love about America, and I've always had tremendous confidence in, in, the, in the American people, is one of the things I loved about America is we were always able to uh, stand on our feet and figure it out. We usually didn't figure it out until it was like D-Day, you know, it was time to do something about it. 
but we usually figured it out. And the scary part today is um, uh, corruption is so rampant, and uh, our politicians, doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on, our politicians are, are difficult at best, okay, I'm being kind. Um, and so we don't know which way. You know, even when you look at what's going on today in the news, we don't know. It's hard to gauge whether there's a collusion between our president and the Russian president or whether there's collusion. You know, we don't know what's going on. And none of us feel real comfortable. You know, we used to, you know, um, we used to stand up and we pledge allegiance to the flag and we, 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 it was great to be an American. And today we don't know whether it's great to be American. We're starting to question that because of our politicians. And that's a little scary. Well, a couple things, uh, if we want to continue down that line, uh, the destruction of the feeling for America has been on purpose. The people who form the Federal Reserve, the Council on Foreign Relations, the United Nations, their job is to destroy national sovereignty. That is what they want to do in order to have a one-world government isn't it human nature, just from your opinion, isn't it human nature to be nationalistic, to, to you know, uh, treat your family a certain way, starting right, right at home, treat your, have a little more feeling for your family than, uh, than for others, although you want to treat everybody well. Your family, when something happens in your family, you rush to, to help out, and, and then in your neighborhood, and then in your community, then in your city. I mean, there's well, nationalistic feeling throughout the, yes, human that's, nature, in my opinion. But that's the way we were brought up. And we were brought up that way because our parents were brought up that way. Our parents and our grandparents, uh, in, in my case, my grandparents were legal immigrants to this country uh, early in the 1900s. Okay, and they came to this country because the streets were paved with gold. And the first thing they did is they enrolled in night school to learn English, and they went out and got a job, any job that they can. And they had one goal. They wanted to be Americans. They did not want to be hyphenated Americans. Right. And that's the generation that raised my parents who then raised me. The, the problem is, is when you have people who are pushing a globalization program, a globalization agenda, and have taken over the education of our children. We have children now who are raised more to think of themselves as citizens of the world than they are citizens of the United States. And that is a very dangerous and a very bad trend. We still believe, and fortunately probably our kids, for the most part, still believe that we're Americans. But as the generations go on, you have kids who were raised not to believe that. In addition to that, you have a globalization of trade. And you mentioned trade. We've talked about trade, and obviously gold has an awful lot to do with trade. We are the reserve currency, for instance, in purchasing oil. Uh, however, what is happening now Nations are starting to develop two-nation trade agreements in which they will deal with each other in their own currencies. And that is happening now. 
You think that's what's going on in the Middle East? In the Middle East is going on. Right. I you think, think that's why China has ships and, and Russia has ships? Absolutely. There's, you don't think they care a whole lot about Syria, do you? They don't care about uh, <laughs> Syria. I don't think they care about uh, chemical weapons. I don't think they care about anything except their own individual monetary and financial betterment. Well-being, right. And that's why Australia and China have started to make trade agreements. China is a major force because they understand that if they start trading with trade agreements between themselves and other nations based on the Chinese currency, they will gradually erode the dollar. Well, it's inevitable. And it's it's, and it's, it's inevitable because they they have the one, the one most powerful thing on earth, and that is people. They have the resource of people, and and as their economy grows, and it will grow because they're such they're in the industrialization age. Okay, like we were a hundred years ago, they're moving into the industrialization age, and so they are going to capture the market. Now, right now, they need us because we're tremendous consumers. Okay, and they need the free world because we're all tremendous consumers but at one point or another they're going to have enough consumers at home you know as they develop and, and become a more wealthy country and they won't need the rest of the world and and god help us when that happens well if you look at this trend and let's look at europe as a good example okay europe a hundred years ago was a bunch of individual countries what are they now? They are an economic union. Yeah, but they're a bunch of individual countries. But you can now travel, okay, f- across anywhere in Europe, across borders, without showing a passport or having a visa. They have one currency now in Europe. So what they've done is they have kind of regionalized an economy. What these people hope for these UN-type people and globalization people, is to start forming the European model in various parts of the world. And trade agreements have been written. You know, the North, North Atlantic Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, is an example of what they would like to achieve, which makes you less of a nation and more of a world region economically speaking, like in Europe. So if you start getting areas, regions that are economically tied, then these regions can tie with each other. And before you know it, you have one world economy based on one world currency, which is what their ultimate goal is from an economic It's hard for me to imagine that that will ever take place. I understand. Because of the way I grew up and, and also the history of mankind. I mean, man, you know, man, mankind, even though they struggled in the caveman days, it didn't seem like the, all the cavemen got together. It seemed like they, each one had their little cave and, and they fought against each other, you know, for territory and things of that nature. So it's hard for me to imagine how. Well, I understand what you're saying. It's hard for me to imagine that too, except... There are other parts to the globalization program which will make the control of food and food production, water and water production, energy 
energy delivery and energy consumption, which would have, if properly used by these people, uh, would force human beings to live in a prescribed manner, whether they like it or not. Starvation is tough if you can't get food. Indeed. And so there are a lot of forces at play now in the world, okay, that are trying for, they're trying to force us into a globalization agenda, uh, basically through the United Nations. And one of the driving forces has been the people who put together the Federal Reserve Bank. The Warburg family, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the Morgans, all of those people have that desire. And that's why gold in the hands of individuals is kind of important, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I think I'm glad I'm up here in the you know, western North Carolina, North Georgia, eastern Tennessee area, because I think it's going to take them a long time to get here. I hope I, at least I another 100 years or so. <laughs> I agree with you. But the, the point is that this gold plays an enormous – gold and precious metals uh, play a, a huge role. They do play a huge role. In wealth preservation. It'll and, always and, be that way too. And that's what I wanted you to talk about. Uh, wealth preservation – and get into again, okay, people might say, well, how can gold be wealth preservation? Its value is going down, going down now, even though they intuitively know that the dollar is also going down. And they're saying, you guys who've been looking at gold as a wealth preservation are nuts. Right. What do you say to that? Well, you know, I, you know, I always look to history. That's what I always look to, and history sort of bears itself out. And, and uh, throughout history, gold has been what men fight and die for. Gold has been uh, what, you know, what has created a lot of the exploration uh, throughout the world. And, and I feel like gold and, and precious metals will always be that way. And, and so um, you, can't, you can't really measure the paper dollar to the gold standard, although... That's how we, you know, that's the way we create the value. You have to really open your eyes and take a look around. Uh, today, um, there are things that are a lot more valuable than, than paper dollars, okay? Things like water is a whole lot more precious to us than paper dollars. Food is a lot more precious. Um, uh, weapons are a lot more precious. Bullets, if you will, are a lot more precious to us. Uh, gold and silver, because it's a, a pretty steady currency, uh, and can be traded for is a lot more precious. And uh, so these are some things that are you know, coming about in our lifetime, which I never thought would ever come about in my lifetime. But it's, it's getting real. It's going moving back toward the 100 years ago, 200 years ago when we were all entrepreneurs. Today, so many people don't have jobs. They've got to figure out a way to sustain themselves. You know, if they're going to depend on the government, they're really going to be in trouble. Okay? They're going to have to figure out a way to get out there go to work, take jobs they might not ordinarily take, fight to educate their kids and get them um, involved in, in, in the growth of this country again so that we can take our country back and, and make it stronger and better than ever. So I think we're moving backwards in, in, that, in that regard. We're moving out of the industrial age and moving into 
back into the entrepreneurial age where you better be able to figure out a way to trade with your neighbor and trade with your friends and trade with your community so that you can live and eat and breathe and, and have the quality of life that you and I are used to, which is really incredible to tell you. Well, I agree with you to a certain extent, is that there are a lot of people who are moving in that direction. The counterbalancing force for that are all of those people who depend for absolutely everything on the government. Right. And that's, the, that's something that It's kind of scary, we, though. It is very scary because we've never had that before in this country. Back in the 1800s, uh, when our country was growing like 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 weeds and wildflowers, okay, because of that free that vibrant free market economy, everyone was part of the economy. Right, the only worked. way you weren't part of the economy if you had no legs or if you had one arm, but you still you still were doing something. Even right. if you had to crawl along the ground, you were figuring out something that you had to do because no one was taking care of you. But right. you, your your family, your church, your community, that's where you went for help. Right. Now, when you have a huge percentage of people who not only are living off the government, but they're doing better living off the government than they could even do by working. That is what's scary to me. And when a greater and greater percentage of people are taking and a smaller and smaller percentage of people are producing right that is the death knell it happened of, in rome it's right and it's a death knell for society it's a death knell for a country it's a death knell for the economy i don't remember which roman emperor it was that got elected to run the country but he gave he actually said he would give everybody free money and free food and free everything and that was the end that was the end of the roman empire it started out where they were giving you know, food, you know, to the population. But then then they started paying people uh, to not work. They started giving them actually income. The, the thing that I've always had for me is that I've always felt like if, it were, if it's to be, it's up to me. I, you know, I've got to get out there. If I depended on somebody else, I never felt really comfortable with that. But you were raised differently. That's correct. But yeah. I still can't imagine anybody feeling comfortable being taken care of by someone else, being taken care of by an entity that may or may not be there one day, okay? I can't imagine being comfortable with but that. These people don't understand that that entity, okay, will eventually run out of funds. You know, one of the things that I've, I often say when I speak is the government cannot give you anything that it first does not steal from someone else. <laughs> I'm sure they love hearing that. <laughs> well, but that's the truth. In other words, and but when you see, when you hear people discussing it, people who are on the, the recipient class, the zero liability voter, recipient class, right? Okay, when you ask them, where, where, where the, how are they getting the stuff? How are they getting those those phones and their food? Well, the government is giving. The government is giving me this. The government's giving me that. Right. There is a disconnect in their mind between the fact that you and I and people who are working for a living are providing to the government the funds necessary so they can buy with their 
their cars, their EBT cards and whatever, they can they can live. Right. There is no connection there. There's going to have to be a turnaround in that arena. Right. There's going to have to be a turnaround. And the government uh, knows it and, and our politicians know it, but they keep passing it. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. To hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I played the hoochie-coochie man I get joy in everything Everything, everything Everything gonna be all right this morning (laughs) 